Hello and welcome to the Comedies Paradise. This is the podcast where we speak to some incredible, unique and fascinating people with many stories to tell from across the comedy verse. Now today's guest is a man who has walked all the way from Canada into Singapore and is now running one of the best comedy clubs in Singapore, or maybe the only, or the best comedy club in Singapore. The, I should o- say. the only. <laughs> oh, the okay. The only full-time comedy club. The only, the full-time, only full-time comedy club. It is yeah. Liam McDonald. Let's welcome him to the stage. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm, really, uh, I'm really pleased to be here. Thanks very much. That sounded like the end of a speech. Thank you very much. <laughs> and thank you. <laughs> do you need to do any greetings in Singapore, like any official greeting? Because in Thailand, you're if someone's older than you, you have to do this, right? But... No, 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 no. You're thinking like Korea. I lived in Korea for a while, so there was a lot of like bowing and anikasel and things like that. But no, no, here, it's, you see, people think that uh, they're not even sure where Singapore is. They think it's in China. So, but we're right near the equator, and it's very, very western, and uh, uh, it's seventy-five percent Chinese here in Singapore, um, and their Mandarin is not that great. My wife is from Taiwan, so she tells me all the time that eh, their uh, their Mandarin is not the uh, it's okay. So, uh, but uh, my uh, my five or my six-year-old, he just turned six. His Mandarin is better. Than most Singaporeans. So, <laughs> I hear that a lot. I hear that the yeah the main language. I think officially they've got two languages in in Singapore: English and Mandarin. But most of the times people just speak English. Well, it's it's English, Mandarin, and Tamil. Oh, so okay. so every year when the uh, prime minister does his speech on National Day, he does it in all three languages. So, uh, which is actually kind of interesting. So, uh, um, and I don't think anyone listens even to the first one. (laughs) (laughs) They're just there for the parade and the, and the jets shooting over and the fireworks. So uh, uh, I've got to admit though, I I love the national day here. It's great. Oh, bloody hell. Is there lots of like strip parties and all of that? I don't know. Uh, It's, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's very interesting because I mean, there's um, everybody wants to go to the National Day Parade, uh, like the big arena, and sit out there. So and then watch the um, the show that they put on. It's like um, imagine like uh, Super Bowl halftime. It's like that without the marching band. So even though there is a band, <laughs> so oh, a marching okay. band. So. Uh, but it's actually a lot of fun. And to be honest, Singaporeans are some of the uh, nicest people. They have a great sense of humor. They love to laugh at themselves. They don't mind jokes that are interracial. They don't mind when you poke fun at them. They don't mind if you poke fun at other people. They they know it's just a joke. So the the uh, the woke culture that's very prominent out in the West is not that prominent out here. Uh, so uh, they're still very, you know, uh, easygoing, which is why I think the comedy scene is a, such a nice scene here. You can still, you know, do fairly risque jokes and everybody just kind of laughs along with you. Is it 
So one thing I found, there's a comedian that I know called Victor Petraskin. Uh, he's, he's an acquaintance of mine, I'll say that. Um, <laughs> and he uh, he makes his whole living just from traveling to different European cities and doing comedy in English. And it's amazing how many people he gets in because it's in places out of nowhere and you'll find that there'll be a good big bunch of people wanting to do comedy in English. And Very true. one of the things is, is, is the fact that um, the, the market in Singapore and Malaysia and all these other nations, because they're emerging, they're much smaller, it forces the comedians to be better, quicker, because people judge comedy. And you also got a lot of imports coming in because of John Atherton, but you, does it force you to be quicker? Because people are new to comedy, so they judge it quicker. Well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I, I see uh, comedy as really in its... Uh, in its infantile state of uh, in terms of its growth potential. Um, it, it's um, it's almost like a uh, something that you have to nurture. And since cultures go through different phases, it's it's growing fairly awkwardly. So I, that was actually one of the main reasons I wanted to open up a full-time permanent comedy club here in Singapore is I wanted to make sure that there was a place where people who wanted to try comedy had a place where they could go. I had a had a stage that they could try just to, even if they could just say, you know, I, I went up there one time and also a place where people who could try comedy and see if it was something that they enjoyed. And we did have this one very young comic. He got up there and his very first time, he was terrible. I can't say his name, but uh, his first time he went up, he was awful. And I said to him, uh, go home, write out your entire story that you just told, and then come back next week. And he did, and he ended up not even telling the same story, but he told a lot more jokes and started getting laughs. And you could see that spark in his eye where he just loved it. So it was that big adrenaline rush. And so... Um, He's off doing national service right now because all Singaporeans have to do two years of national service. Uh, but he does come by whenever he's on leave and and wants to uh, come off and do a comedy at the club. So it's nice to see that in a in a, a young uh, potential comedian, the fact that they actually really want to go and uh, do something that is exciting to them, something that's outside the norm. And so giving the people that that potential to try something, for me, that's actually what makes it really worth it because um, we have a very, very limited pool in terms of comedians. So the only way to grow it is to actually, you know, seed the, uh, you know, seed the field. So you'll actually get sprouts that will grow into, you know, full-blown comedians. And we have some excellent comedians here in Singapore from Fakafaz, Rishi Putrani, Jinx Yo. Um, Deepak Chandra, and these guys are really, really good. And um, uh, I, I see us that I see, I think in the next 10 years, we could, you know, have easily 20, 30 uh, really, really strong comedians coming out of uh, Singapore to go and tour around Asia and other parts of the world. Hmm. It, it's and like same in Malaysia, isn't it? They have about maybe 30 comedians that are sort of pros. 
and it's it's yeah like uh yeah jason leong really good kevin jay excellent um you know rizzo van geisel is a great comedian and these guys they have a, also a much larger pool since i mean the population is much bigger so uh and they're also in the same kind of growth pattern that we're in right now uh they've had some of their own challenges like uh rizzo had the um uh the comedy crack house and it was actually shut down uh due to some girl who got up in the hajib and decided she was going to do something that would not be uh, tolerated in Islam. So, uh, and he got the brunt of it on that one. So he started to make a comeback, but it it was a really, really heavy hit on yeah. the uh, comedy community. I don't know if you're aware of the story, but uh, it, it was a really, really big hit on the Malaysian comedy scene. Yeah, I I, uh, I bumped into him in Edinburgh as well, and I've had him on the podcast, and it was amazing oh. to hear about how he built the pizza, like a pizza business with the comedy club, and then yeah. he told me in Edinburgh how things are completely like in his personal life, and all these things happened, and his show, like he talked about all these mad things, like she was part oh. of some sex cult, and like, ah, uh, it, it it's yeah, he he really went through it, like in the in the West, I think. Good. We we were quite lucky in some ways in that it doesn't happen as much. There's only one comic that I know of who's been arrested for doing comedy, and that's Count Dankula. I can't remember the full story of it in terms of doing comedy, not other things, nefarious things they've done. But um, yeah, that that's. But I hear in other nations lots of stories about people being arrested. I mean, I heard people were saying in India that people may die in South Africa, like Long John said that. Where it's called Lee more learn more Janassi now, but he says that um, in South Africa, if he bonds on stage, he may die twice. So it's it, it's it's yeah, yeah. Well, well, fortunately, we we don't go that far in Singapore. I mean, they they though they don't have freedom of speech, they actually do give you a lot of uh, leeway in terms of your you know uh, you know projecting your art. So uh, and that I give uh, the Singapore government a lot of credit for that. Um, I've never heard of a comedian being cracked down for their comedy before. Um, perhaps it's happened, but none that I've heard of. So um, I have a public entertainment license. So, you know, um, I think they just want um, so you don't have to be a family oriented uh, you know, 1950s comedy where you can't even swear. But uh, they uh, they don't mind uh, if you actually push the envelope and uh, they just don't want, you know, political discourse and things like that. So uh, they're just being careful along those lines. But other than that, it's pretty wide open and it's nice to have uh, nice to have the oversight. Is it is it. Um, would would that possibly happen here? What happens to Riza Van Gaze if you're not careful? Could that happen in Singapore? Not here, no. Um, I mean, it, you, it would depend. Like, I, I actually had somebody who wanted to do uh, a private show, but it wasn't going to be a private because they're going to be selling the tickets publicly. And um, they were defending themselves in a, in a lawsuit. And then when I got more details, I found out that it was really wasn't something I wanted the club to be associated with. And so I actually shut the uh, I shut that show down after about a week after agreeing to it. And um, 
I don't know if I should really uh, get into it. Well, okay, I might as well tell you the details of it. I won't mention names, but I, it turned out that um, it was like, going to be like an anti-vax show. Oh. And, yeah, but I they didn't present, when we were talking, they didn't present it as an anti-vax show. They said they were being wrongfully accused and trying to raise money for their legal uh, fees, and they were going to have some keynote speakers there. And then I had somebody who was not even associated with the comedy scene reach out and say, are you doing an anti-vax show? And I was like, what? And so i that's when I actually started doing some my due diligence on who this person was. And then I just, so I reached out and I said, listen, are these keynote speakers approved by the Singapore police force? Because if you have certain keynote speakers, um, you you actually have to get them, uh, they, oh. what they do is they submit their speech to SPF and then they just get it. Okay, it's been reviewed and then you're allowed to do it. So, uh, but I, and they said, well, we don't need it for the PL. I said, no, 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 no. I said, I'm not having these people up unless their speeches are approved by the Singapore police force. So uh, I please have them submit it. And then if they do, then I'll, we can actually do, do this again. And, uh, and I, I'll have to admit, I was, uh, I was around the time of my public entertainment license renewal and that renewal was not forthcoming. I actually had to do an appeal to see why I was not being put through. So I don't know if it had anything to do with that, but, but the timing was suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I was thinking like, and as soon as I found out that this was like something that was, it was an anti-vax show or could even be construed as an anti-vax show, to be honest, I dropped it like a hot potato. So uh, I, I did have some people say, oh, you know, you, you know, you, you know, you should have stuck th to your guns. I was thinking like, uh, no, th no, thanks. I like living in Singapore. <laughs> So. it's it's too it's too con it's not worth putting the risk of like the comedy club for something yeah. like that yeah, exactly i'd have to actually risk my club for somebody else's point of view and i thought no because it i certainly didn't i i certainly didn't uh uh coincide with their their views on vaccine vaccinations since uh i mean i was vaccinated for covid and I was vaccinated for, we vaccinated our, our son for, you know, all the things kids get vaccinated for. So, you know, I'm, I know there are side effects of vaccinations, of course, but it's not something that, you know, I'm going to roll the dice on polio and things like that. So I thought, let's, uh, let's just go with the vaccination aspect of it. It's, I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an, that's an interesting and yeah, it's um, it's, yeah, Singapore and the, the the scene in Asia. I know that I read an article that like Hong Kong was the first full time comedy club, but the the comedy scene in sort of Asia is emerging. And it is, is we're we're getting there. The COVID was brutal on the comedy scene here, but even before uh, it happened, um, we weren't getting a lot of open. There weren't a lot of open mics. And you can't introduce new comedians unless you have real open mics that are open up to anybody. So uh, a lot of the open mics that were there were people who had actually already been doing comedy for a while, trying to work on new material and stuff. And you could you could see a pattern where every couple of years there'd be like a new crop of comedians. 
people who were actually really dedicated to doing comedy all the time. And uh, so that happened back in like 2010, 2012, 2014. Um, and then it's kind of stopped. Uh, I didn't. So, I mean, 2019, I don't know anybody who'd come been a new comedian since maybe 2016 would be the last time there was somebody new on the scene. And then COVID happened. And so that was basically five years of no new batch of comedians. And um, I, that's when I thought, no, we really need a place. And so I actually have uh, my open mic every week. And I've actually opened up a second one now that we do on Fridays that I uh, call Funny Fridays. So now we're doing two open mics a week. And in terms of people signing up, uh, they are the list is packed every every week. So, uh, you know, I, I want to make sure people get a real fair shake. Um, back in 2019, I was only getting about, oh, geez, maybe 20 minutes of comedy per month um, based on, because there wasn't a lot of stage time. Blue Jazz had closed down. There was um, Masala was only once a week on a Tuesday. And um, there was uh, the Mary Lion, uh, which was... Um, I did they did like four or five shows a week, but uh, they they were very limited as well in terms of like your stage time. Because if you think about it, everybody wants to get up on stage. So there was a um, I I felt there was a real uh, drought in terms of availability for people to go up and do open mic. And so now I'm kind of really committed to that. Plus, we also do our. Uh, we do our big shows. We do our pro night on Saturday. And then we have uh, some of the uh, top comics like Kumar, who's a very, very popular comic in uh, in Singapore. He does two shows a month at the Lemon Stand. And um, so it, we, we are starting to grow. And people are actually now starting to see the fact that we have a full-time comedy club. So we're, we're getting a lot more recognition, especially in the last, I would say, six months. Oh, so it's really... It's, I would say in the first six months, or I was the, that was the toughest. From June 14th to the end of, of the year last year was brutal. Oh, man, that was brutal. Um, and then around February, we started getting larger crowds. And then by April, we started getting, uh, I would say, uh, around average crowds. And... Um, uh, then I then by May and June, the crowds got a little bigger. Um, uh, the summer, it kind of cooled down a bit. But now we're actually, now that we're into September, October, November, you know, now we're seeing the crowds pick up again. So, and they're getting bigger. And so when you look at the analytics of, of the club, you actually see that there is a steady growth. There are some pops now and then, some dips. But you know, every month, every month over month, we grow slightly more and more and more. So I think we're eventually coming up to the tipping point where we'll kind of, you know, explode. Hopefully, <laughs> so, be there. Yeah. So it's do, do you run seven nights a week or is it like no no we we do about um, we do about anywhere from fourteen to sixteen shows per month. So uh, we're always open every Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, but then we also have the occasional Wednesdays because Kumar does Wednesday nights. Uh, then we have um, 
Uh, Rishi's uh, starting going to be starting up. Uh, he's a really great comedian here in Singapore. Uh, he's going to be starting up uh, his bi monthly show again as well. He was doing a space as well. So that'll increase the numbers. So I would say on average, we're doing about four shows a week. And um, we're hoping that we can actually, this time next year, we'll be double that. that that's my goal. What, what have been the challenges of like setting up a, because you were effectively in a well-paid job outside of what 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 the challenges of running a comedy club in singapore and how would what the challenge of running a comedy club in singapore as opposed to if you set one up like you are now in i don't know the uk or the us or canada well rent is a is a big one um because i i know that if i was in canada the rent would not be nearly as high as it is right now for my commercial space. So, um, and that I would rent takes up about half of my budget uh, every month or half of my takings every month is just rent. Uh, then you have your staffing, you have your, you know, you pay taxes and your GST and your, you get, work with your suppliers and, you know, um, uh, uh, so all, it's a real business. I mean, you really have to stay on top of it. Uh, people always ask me, oh, yeah, what's your day job? I'm like, would I have anything? Will I have time for anything else? So uh, it's, uh, you know, you have and you have to run it like it's a business. So that means that when you, you have to look at it uh, in terms of where can you cut costs? Uh, where can you scale back? Uh, at the very beginning, I was far too ambitious in terms of the numbers of shows I wanted to do. And so I was able to scale that back. I was able to scale back my staff. Um, uh, I was able to put more into our advertising. Uh, we we're able to have more directed advertising. Adver I would say the top three things in terms of percentage would be rent is number one, staff is number two, and advertising is number three in terms of costs that you have to do. So you have to kind of do like a balance and and you really have to, to look at it in terms of, you know, where's money coming in, where's money coming out. Uh, you run into the same things that you would run into, I think, with every business, you know, uh, with uh, theft and people skipping out on their bills and, and things like that. So, you know, if once you get past that, the, the most wonderful part are the actual shows. So uh, it's it's all worth it when you actually have a, an amazing show. Uh, last Friday, we had our open mic uh, on Friday, Funny Friday. And it was uh, it was an amazing show. Uh, we had 50 people came out and uh, 50 amateur comedians. And everybody had a, just a blast. And when you when you're in that type of environment, all the struggles to get there just kind of fade away. And uh, it was a it was a really great night. And so we're seeing a lot more of those now, uh, where uh, people, you know, come in and they're and they're they know that the that the you know Singaporean comedians are not world class comedians, but and they're very very supportive. That's one thing I love about Singaporean crowds really really supportive crowds uh we had one guy get up on stage last friday and he froze for like a minute maybe a minute and a half 
and uh, and he got a massive round of applause, and he seemed to settle down and go right back into it. So that's what you got to love about Singaporeans. They are they they want you to win. They they're really rooting for you. So that that I think the comedians are are really starting to rise to the challenge now. And I've had comedians approach me and say, you know, how do I get on to like uh, the the pro nights? You know, what can I do to actually be a headliner myself? And uh, and so I challenged them and I pushed them. And so now we've actually, I'd say in the last, uh, heck in the last five months, there's probably been five or six comedians who did their very first headline uh, right at the lemon stand. So, uh, and, you know, they really rose to the challenge getting ready to, you know, deliver the comedy. It's really nice when you see that. You feel like a father. You're raising a pup. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, like, you were mentioning Jonathan uh, Atherton before, and I have always considered him like the the godfather of of all comedy here in Singapore. And I remember the very first night I met him, just a, a man who was just full of so much energy and really, really funny and really, really promoting comedy. And, you know, you just couldn't help get caught away or caught up in all of the, uh, you know, all of his jokes and uh, a really, really terrific guy. And I have to admit, uh, he's missed on the scene for sure. Uh, I remember when he left Singapore because they didn't they didn't consider being a comedian an actual job in Singapore. So uh, and I thought the guy who actually started the whole thing here. And you know, and then he had to go off to go off to Malaysia. So um, uh, I have to admit, he was really the catalyst that got it all going here. So uh, and he sparked a lot of. Um, uh, I, he, I think he, well, he's the one who inspired uh, Umar to do comedy masala, and comedy masala, great, great comedy. Uh, Umar's done a wonderful job promoting comedy across uh, Singapore. And, and and still to this day, he has a great show every Tuesday at Heroes down on uh, Circular Road here in Singapore. Great show. So it's really nice to actually, you know, uh, uh, see because Umar is actually the one who kind of inspired me. The fact that he was doing it again and again, and he just kept going. So uh, so he was one of my, uh, you know, one of my um, one of the people I really looked up to in this industry. Mm. Is he the guy that runs company in Pakistan as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a ah. Pakistani guy. He lived here for quite a long time, and and I mean, once Jonathan got the, the his you know the foothold of comedy going in Singapore, uh, Umar kind of took the torch, and and he's the one who kept it going, even after Jonathan was no longer on the scene. Umar was still here, still running shows. You know, still uh, uh, doing a, a and a really good product as well. He, he, I know he had a lot of struggles trying to maintain, you know, the comedy scene. Um, it's like you're starting an industry, an entire industry by yourself from scratch. So um, he, I gotta give him credit. He really, really hung in there, uh, even during COVID. Uh, he was still trying to do a lot of stuff. He still does his shows every Tuesday. Even though he doesn't live in Singapore, he's still running Comedy Masala at weekly shows here in uh, Singapore, which is great. And we really, the more comedy, the better. And how does the marketing sort of, what's 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 the marketing like over here? Is it 
is it perhaps easier because there's less comedy shows to get people to come and watch shows or is it harder? Well, uh, you have to, uh, like my marketing's kind of spread between um, Facebook, Instagram and uh, Google ads. So, uh, and now we've actually just started a concerted social media campaigns so we can actually get more um, traction in regards to who's up and what's happening on a regular basis. Um, so it's, for me, it's always been like, um, like drinking from the fire hose. Uh, it's just so much coming at you and you're wondering, should I be going with this, um, you know, this particular uh, platform or, because um, uh, there's not a lot of uh, choices. So I just want to have it so when people Google, you know, comedy in Singapore, the lemon stand pops up right at the top or things to do. And then it's like, come out to the lemon stand. So uh, I actually, what a strange thing, uh, people said I shouldn't do it, but I, I still do. I actually published my personal phone number is on our website. So anybody has a question, come straight to my phone. So I, I land all the like, hi, yeah, the lemon stand can I help you. And a lot of times, you know, sometimes it's my mom. <laughs> so, <laughs> so but uh it's a um uh, you know you have to do it because you want to make sure that people have a quick response so the advertising aspect of it, it it's still tricky because it's changing it used to be email campaigns and you know you put up posters and things like that but now it's all like uh social ads and uh you know, Google searches and things like that. So you have to make sure you stay more modern in terms of what you're doing. And there's definitely a, uh, a cost associated with that. So, and there's a learning curve too. We've actually learned quite a bit. Um, the the mailing list, we have a mailing list, but it, you know, last week, I haven't sent it out my, my, my mailing list last week. I'm not convinced it's actually doing anything. You know what? So. Yeah. I think so too. I think mailing lists are a bit of a. I've 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 not found them very useful. I found in messaging people on the phone to be quite effective. Yeah. But mailing, no. Yeah, exactly. So I'm thinking like, you know, one thing that still does work are like bus ads or like ads on the on the on the subway or on the tube or on the MRT as they call it here. So uh, I just don't have the I just don't have the money to actually put into that right now. I've already checked, and as soon as I have fifteen thousand dollars, I'm gonna do one. So, uh, but it's an expensive campaign, and um, uh, but I've already I've already thought out the campaign. I've already talked to them in terms of you know doing it, and now I just got to come up with the scratch. So, but we'll get there one day, and because uh, they they really do help. Having the, I know that uh, in Singapore, it's very like London, where a lot of people don't drive. Everybody takes public transport. So having something on public transport does get a lot of traction uh, because um, they're, they're getting a lot of, um, uh, you know, you're, you're on the subway and you see it all the time. So uh, I've actually done some, uh, some radio shows and uh, where people have actually I think I've had one or two people say, I heard you on the radio when I was driving home. And in Canada, that would be like, wow, because everybody's driving home in Canada. But in Singapore, everyone's taking the uh, the subway or the bus. So 
you know, that uh, you have a very limited range on radio. So, you know, you got to look at where people are. And, and it, so it's one of the things I'm doing now. Mm. It's what's, yeah, that's an interesting, what, what's been a surprising thing that's worked for you? Because I've, I've found that one thing that I thought wouldn't work, but does seem to work is the good old fashioned putting leaflets through people's doors. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't gone that far, but one thing that worked that I found surprising was um, uh, I probably would say um, I, I got uh, somebody actually uh, wrote a newspaper article about the club opening. And uh, and to be honest, I mean, it was it was only in the, you know, the physical newspaper. And uh, when it came out, I was like, wow, look, this is great. And uh, I didn't really I didn't think anything was going to come of it because I know people don't really read newspapers anymore. But uh, I was amazed on how many people actually learned about the club through the newspaper. And um, uh, but uh, I, the biggest one and this one's always been the. The one that I, that I found the most surprising was uh, when I said people, how did they hear about it? They said they Googled it. They Googled <laughs> Comedy Club and the Lemon Stand came up. And there were other ones that were above us. Like we were not the top one. And they were like, oh, what's this one? And they clicked on it, came to our website, saw we had shows up, came out and saw the shows. And then they, they said what was really surprising were the reviews. Because I always encourage people to leave reviews, even if it's a bad review, leave a review. And and I like when people do. So um, uh, we had somebody leave a um, a one star review, and uh, and somebody said, "Oh, you should you should reach out to that person." I was like, "No, you know what? If you read that review, you can tell that they were probably having a bad day." So I'm going to leave that up there. And another person gave us a two-star review about the sound. They said, oh, I didn't like the sound. I couldn't hear anything. And so I went and I upgraded our sound. And then I replied and said, you know what? Thanks for putting this in. I have now upgraded our sound. It's a lot better. If you actually DM me, I'll give you some tickets and you can come out and hear. And uh, so I love when people actually uh, leave the Google reviews. And I'm the person who's, I'm the host, so I, I seat people when they come in. And I've had people show up and go, you're the, you must be the owner, Lemon. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's me. And they go, I read about you on Google. And all the ads, they say, the owner greets you at the door. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, I guess a couple of people did say that. So it, it showed me that people were actually reading the Google ads. And, uh, and I know I do. I always read the Google ads to see, you know, is it, is it uh, really good? Is it good? If I don't see any, they didn't write anything, I won't actually read that ad. But if they wrote something, I'll definitely read what the ads are. So I think that was probably for me the biggest surprise next to the paper, the newspaper. My gosh. <laughs> it, it, how much, but you and yourself, like when you're going out with your wife and your kids, how much mm -hmm. do the reviews tell you about a place? I find that reviews tell me a lot about a place. So much. Oh, a lot. I mean, they tell, like they'll say, oh, there's free salty popcorn and there's uh, you get a free half pint on the 
uh, the uh, open mic on Tuesday, and uh, they have some great, it's great ambiance, and it's, you know, somebody wrote bare bones bar, but good comedy. And I thought, yeah, we are a bare bones bar. <laughs> so, you know, we have two beers on tap. We've got red and white wine, and we've got like, you know, four different types of liquor. I mean, that's basically the whole thing. So, uh, so yeah, that's bare bones. So uh, we'll we'll get there. But I love getting reviews like that. So you do. You learn a lot about it. And people post pictures of the of the stage, of the comedians, of the of the food and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, you learn a lot on the Google reviews, especially by people who post pictures. Oh, I agree. What one thing? How one thing in previous guests? I think maybe you've maybe looked at the episode, but it's with a called James. Um, it was the episode called "Running the Fastest Growing Comedy Club in the Southwest" with James Atherton, I believe. I know his first name, but I've forgotten his surname. Never look. I, didn't, I didn't see that that episode. What did he say? So let me have a look. It's James. No, it's James Alderton. James Alderton. That's it. That's his name. Not Alderson. Alderson. So okay. he he. Um, you mentioned there about you greeting people as they come in, um, and he mentioned when people see him outside of comedy, they expect him to be more jolly and more friendly. And he says, I'm the most charismatic man in the freezer section in Waitrose. But that, that bit saying, you know, you have a private life, but when you go up on stage, you're the face of your brand and you've got to make people feel comfortable. You've got to make people feel okay. nice. How do you manage to do that customer service on the door and like also as they're leaving? Because I, I myself sometimes is sometimes you're not in the right sharpness to engage. And occasionally, I'll be honest, the odd time here and there in the comedy club, I'll make a slight social mistake. But the thing with that social mistake, that's enough to put them off from coming in. Nothing dodgy, just like a little thing, that slight yeah. little thing. Well, from actually, for me, it's just like, um, I mean, when I, was, I put myself through college as a waiter. So when I was a waiter, I was the funny waiter. So I'd always say outrageous things and little quips while I was talking to people. So when people show up, I immediately start horsing around with them to try, you know, get them in a good mood. And I try to, you know, coerce them to sit in the front row and, you know, I tell them what the specials are, things like that. Big smile and kind of get them like relaxed. And they always relax. And the thing is, it actually makes... My it, believe it or not, my favorite job is working the door. I love seating people at the lemon stand when they come in, greeting them. Hi, what's your? I write down everybody's name. Hi, what, and I just say, "What's your name?" And they go, "Oh, my name is uh, you know, uh, you know, Ted or John or whatever." And it doesn't matter whatever name they say. I always go, "Oh, my my brother's name is uh, uh, Nick." And, you know, and I'll try to throw out like a little joke. So, uh, and and they respond and they realize, oh, oh, yeah, we're here at a comedy club. And they relax. And then when you see some guy who's obviously there on a date. So, uh, and I'll always I say, oh, you guys, are you on a date tonight? Oh, yes, yes. It's our first date. First date. Wow. You know what? Comedians love it when you're on your first date. And they're like, oh, no. So you kind of set them up on what to expect. So it is my favorite job. And I could have had the worst day 
But as soon as I start working the door, I just started to feel better because I have so many people coming in and they're all looking forward to laughing. So that really kind of gets me going. And, and I, I, I think I've only ever said one thing that puts somebody off. And <laughs> do you want to hear what I said? Go on. Let's hear it. <laughs> this woman came in and she was pretty thin. She was pretty thin. And I said to her, I said, uh, I said, oh, uh, hey, was your mother a hippie? And she said, no. I said, well, you must have got those hips from somebody. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> she, she was not pleased. But the people she was with burst out laughing. They thought it was a great joke. So, uh, but she was, she was, she wasn't a bit. I mean, she wasn't a big fan after that. But the thing is, you just give a big smile and just say, hey, I'm just, I'm just teasing, right? I mean, like, you know, please don't take it too bad. Otherwise, you're going to kill all the comedians who come up on stage because they're going to be way worse than that. So uh, so you kind of like, hey, you know, you can sidestep out of it. But as it was, she was the only person who looked offended at something I said. So everybody else just take, and that's what I, I love about Singaporeans. They always take it, they take everything you say with a pinch of salt. So, you know, they they don't really get offended at the at the things that you say because they know it's all in good fun, and uh, I mean that's what they're doing there in the first place. So, so I I I uh, I though I did get a really interesting response once uh, from uh, a comedian I actually had. Uh, Danny O'Brien was. Uh, was headlining one uh, time. He's from uh, he's from UK scene uh, out in Ireland, and uh, he actually said uh, he said, "Wow, well, you know, you're the only uh, you're the only promoter I've ever seen work the door, clear tables, pull pints, and host the show." <laughs> and I said, "So I have to. I can't afford anybody." <laughs> So uh, he he really liked that. He thought it was pretty interesting because he'd never seen a, a promoter pulling pints before. So and I thought, well, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Right. So but uh, well, we will get there. I've, I've uh, I like meeting the promoters from other countries. I find them uh, like a wealth of knowledge and uh, a, a really uh, they're typically really, really nice guys. Business oriented as well. I like seeing that. Yeah, most most. But. <laughs> you're getting into a bit of a worm they're getting into a bit of trouble there <laughs> um god did have you have you heard about the latest news in the uk about a famous no. comedian oh wait, wait, which which one he has fuzzy hair like um like john lennon he is a womanizer and his surname begins with brand oh yes 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 Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Russell, by any chance? I've heard about that. Yes, and he, but the thing is, he hasn't done comedy for a long time. So uh, he's been doing that the um, that podcast where he every morning he gets up and goes over all the the different things that's happening in the United States, isn't it? Well, <clears throat> the, there's a big um, maybe this this is going to take the topic in a bit of an iffy place. But I'm interested to hear what your views are on it as a promoter, because there's so many complaints. I don't know. In America, it's probably the same thing. I know a little bit about it. Uh, but in the UK, there's, there's a big documentary called Dispatches that was out uh, talking about how Russell Brand, he's known as a womanizer. 
however there's the i speak to so many comics on the uk circuit and you hear a lot of green moon chatter and they always talk about how russell brown is a well-known person who's a not so kind to ladies he has the image of being a ladies but he's he's um and it's been an open secret but people have been scared to say anything because of his lawyers and because of him having such power in the industry and there's also oh. a lot of reports like with comedy promoters and um and big name comedians doing dodgy things to female comics and also even male comics because oh. one of the comics said to me <laughs> what's his face um darren canal said um he was bothered by a male promoter and the fact that he told him he wasn't into that inclination the guy still bothered him <laughs> wow but, i have to admit i i'm i'm completely out of the loop on that stuff so it, it doesn't surprise me though because um i mean you you do see uh people i mean anybody who's in a position of power is going to actually abuse that power at some point and uh, and I also think and, and then you have on the other side, people who actually are targets because they're in a position of power. So um, I, I find that um, uh, I myself, I, I love uh, the, the female comedians. I wish we had more of them. And uh, but I understand they actually have a pretty rough go of it uh, in the industry. Uh, when you see uh, like Jocelyn Shia, when she got uh, bashed for you know, just telling jokes about Malaysia. And then um, uh, uh, even uh, when you see comedians like uh, Sarah Silverman getting uh, uh, getting um, sidelined by uh, male com comedians by, you know, her attitude. And I thought, you know, I, I, you could actually say that there's a lot of male comedians who have very, very different attitudes uh, when they're off stage or in the, in the green room as opposed to when they're on stage. So uh, and I and, and they don't get the same type of flag. So I've got to admit, it's a really difficult industry for women to break into. I myself, I I, I try to promote them as much as I can, um, and uh, and I still would like to see more of them. So, uh, I, but uh, yeah, I'm not really up to speed on what's going on with the. To be honest, I every time I start reading uh, this part of the world, ah, you know, it, it we're just so far out of what's happening in the West, you know, that it, it doesn't really have any major impact on us, but we have our own politics here. So, so we don't, we don't need to import them. <laughs> but it, I'll ask one more thing on this, Matt. If you are yeah. a comedy promoter, how would you handle nefarious or dodgy things going on? Because people say that it's a difficult thing in comedy because there's no official HR, but how would you as a promoter handle, uh, silly things going on in your comedy club if someone was well i've actually i uh okay i'll give you a couple of examples i actually had um uh most of my staff actually all my staff right now are are uh female uh we've had some male staff but they uh, for some reason they don't they don't work out as well so the uh the girls that i have working with me i've actually had some of them approach me and say hey you know this one guy he's contacted me uh, when we're not here and I'm very uncomfortable around them and I will immediately reach out. To, I'll take that comedian, pull him aside and say, okay, this shit has to stop right now. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's if you want to come back here ever again, 
then you're never going to contact her again. You got it? And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. No problem. So, uh, I mean, some of the more senior comics, I can't see them doing anything along the lines that would be anything untowards towards some of the staff or, or some of the female comics. Um, so, but I have actually stepped in on two occasions when somebody was uncomfortable about what a comedian was doing or what a comedian was saying. Um, we had one guy who was, he was sending texts uh, that were, uh, they seem overly familiar. They weren't rude or anything like that, but they were overly familiar. And so I've had someone say, hey, you know, this is not, I don't like this. And I've immediately reached out to him and said, hey, you know, this has got to stop. And uh, and as it was, he wasn't on the scene for quite some time afterwards as well. So uh, so uh, we I, I I take care of that right away because, you know, you got to try to remove the that aspect of it. And the weird thing is, I've also been accused of actually uh, uh, of being uh, abusive towards women. And I just I was shocked at the minute when I, I got that. So you know and i and when that happened i approached it head on in terms of like you know we're going to discuss this and we're going to talk about this and things like that so and i had a lot of uh, i had a lot of support uh when i actually was uh when i was accused so uh it's i've got to say politics always does play into it at some point or another is it in in some some instances is it more miscommunication or and obviously in some instances though it is quite nefarious and what would you say is the difference between that's a really well i think age has a lot to do with it as well i mean um in, in both cases there was um there was definitely the age of the person who was perpetrating the the comments did play a major factor in what the what they were saying so um uh so so when i spoke to them they were like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even realize that was I was stepping over. You know, I, I was out of line. So uh, so I think that there was I would say. They they weren't nefarious in terms of they weren't there was no, you know, mean intention of it, uh, though it did come across in each case creepy. And so they had to actually be aware that, you know, that. What they were doing was not being received the way they thought it was being received. And so they have to cut it out. You know, it, uh, this is, you know, um, it's not, it's not like uh, high school, you know, <laughs> so, you know, uh, where you can get away with saying certain things, or it's not like, uh, you know, 1975, <laughs> where the free love is gone now. So it's a completely different, um, I mean, the, the 20s is now a, a completely uh, different uh, social mechanism in terms of how we interact with each other uh, from, and now we bring in a lot of things like gender. And, um, uh, and we also, in terms of, uh, now they don't do that here in Singapore, but I know in the U.S. they still have a lot of safe spaces and things like that. And I also know that, I mean, the, the comedy circuit in the colleges used to be huge back in the 80s and 90s. I mean, you made a lot of money doing the college circuits. And I know that comedians don't really do that now because there's a lot of pushback in terms of their types of humor, uh, that not being acceptable in certain situations and things like that. So uh, we're from this part of the world, though, we're really kind of insulated from that. So uh, and I think that the 
the comedians, I think they themselves are uh, the ones in Singapore. It's not the same as if they, uh, as if they were cutting their teeth in New York. They, it's uh, here in Singapore. It's a, it's a lot more, um, uh, a lot more. Uh, we give them a lot more leeway. Uh, we're not, and I know that promoters in the UK. I've met a couple, and you know they're very, very uh, short with comedians. And so they can immediately kibosh something or somebody that annoys them and they're out. So whereas here, we don't really do that. Here, we we try to encourage them to, you know, look at what they're doing, look at their comedy, you know, uh, see how they can uh, how they can find it a little more. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say more mainstream, but more more along the lines of of. Um, we give them more room to grow. And I think that's because it's such a young, uh, it's such a young industry here in Singapore than in UK where it's been around for decades. So, uh, I mean, there are some very, very big established clubs in UK. So, and those guys have a lot of say over who gets up on stage uh, and they have a giant pool with which to draw. So you don't have the same luxury here in Singapore. I think we'll get there one day. I think maybe in you know in ten years you'll see, you know, uh, will be a really vital part of the of Asian uh, comedy in terms of growing up Southeast Asia. But yeah, it's 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 you and you mentioned before in the message. It's it's exciting to see where it goes. It really is. I gotta say, it's you know I. Uh, uh, I when I actually quit my mainstream job so I could do this, um, <laughs> geez, I had no idea it was going to be. It was going to be as crazy as it as it got. It was just, um, wow, you know, um, so many things I didn't expect to happen happened, and uh, so it's uh, I gotta say it was it's really changed the way I, I've uh, I I look at the entire scene. And but would I do it all again? Absolutely, because there have just been some wonderful moments where you see a new comedian break a new joke in and it just delivers. So uh, and you've seen that where the crowds, uh, you know, like uh, our last New Year's Eve show was off the hook. It was one of the best shows I've ever seen, let alone actually uh, promoted so um and i i think we'll we'll see a lot more shows like that so uh kumar uh who does the show he's one of our top comedians here in singapore he sells out you know two wednesdays every month and absolutely sells it out and he does a great show and and he's actually he can do some very risque stuff i gotta say and uh it's really really nice seeing seeing him out doing that because I mean, he was uh, one of the very first cutting edge comedians, I, I guess you would have to say, uh, starting doing comedy re literally back in the 80s here in Singapore. And uh, everything's different now. So and uh, so I like to see a lot more comedians like Kumar so that they could actually grow their careers just like he did. I think I think I mean, the, the country has about almost six million people in it. So we have the the people to do it. So I, I think we'll get there eventually. We really will. And if there's one, if, the, if 
who's a who are the who are your favorite comedians in Singapore and who's a who's a what's the favorite what's your favorite bit you've seen that you like a joke that you've really okay. admired by an act and you admired how it worked and how it got there well my okay my favorite comedian in, in Singapore is uh, I mean it kind of it changes I have a number of them but one of them who's very popular right now is uh, Deepak Chandran and he had this one joke which was so well written and so clever that I I was so impressed by the joke uh, and he talks about how because uh, he's from India so I, he said you know uh, I've been in Singapore you know, from uh, Mumbai, and my number one thing is to just never go back to India, you know, and, and he talks about, you know, being an Indian in, uh, in, uh, in Singapore and in the world, and he talked about how Indians embrace, they, they don't tolerate, they embrace, and then he talked about how, you know, when the Persians, in, you know, invaded, uh, India embraced them because they showed up with samosa, you know, and then when the the moguls came in they embraced them because they they had naan and they said that so now when you get um, samosa and naan where do, you know do you do you think of these other countries no you think of india he said and when the british showed up we embraced them and we embraced their language and that's why all the call centers are in english and then he said and then when they left they went back to the uk he said and we're like oh we're coming with you and he said uh, and we embraced them so much Look who's running the country now, fuckers. So, <laughs> <laughs> I loved that, how he actually tied that in. I just thought, oh, my God, that's brilliant. So uh, I have to admit, it was probably one of the uh, – and now he did it very long and drawn out, in his, and, he, and he has a wonderful delivery. And, uh, and But when he actually hit the, uh, you know, the prime minister of UK, it was just – just perfect. I thought, wow, what a great joke. Really, really, really well designed. So he's one of my favorites in terms of how he's actually, uh, he writes all the time. He's constantly writing and he always wants to get up on stage. I love seeing that passion with any type of comedian. Uh, we have, a, uh, there's another comedian here in Singapore, um, Indian Singaporean guy who just writes all the time. And uh, I saw his notebook. It was this thick. And it's uh, and he left it in the green room one time, and I opened it up, and it was, every page was full. It was just amazing. I thought, wow! And so I did what any promoter would do: I drew dicks on all the different pages. <laughs> <laughs> and what did he do? <laughs> getting a, uh, I don't know if you can still hear me. I'm getting like a uh, somebody at my front door. Okay. So, uh, no worries. Well, just one little thing. How do people find out about you? About me? And the comedy club. Well, mostly it's from the advertising, I, w I would say. Um, um, the newspaper, was that was helpful. The, uh, but I would say probably the, the newspapers uh, or the, the ads that we do and the fact that they've grown into um, the ads have actually spread to word of mouth. So now we get a, a lot more uh, comedians showing up uh, or, or sorry, audience members showing up who've never heard of the club before. Uh, we have this one uh, popular uh, YouTuber who's going up next week uh, by the name of Ming Yu. And um, he's already sold the show out. And 
um, when people showed up the very first time he was in the club, uh, I asked people, I said, oh, you know, like, how'd you hear about the club? And they said, oh, I, I follow him on YouTube and he mentioned this club. And so that's why I'm here. And then people ask me, how many, uh, how many shows do you do a month? I'll say like, oh, like 15, 16. They're like, wow, I had no idea. So we're still not in, on the tip of everyone's tongue, but we're we're getting there. And I think it's, you know, word of mouth really helps. Uh, so uh, I, that's why I'm going to stick to it. You know, you know, I'll be here until the bitter end. Bitter end. But if someone's listening right now and they're in the UK or America, and they want to find out about Lemon Stand or Lee McDonald, where do they go? Do they go on WhatsApp? Do they go, go on the, the website? Do they go on go Instagram? The website. Now, they should go to the website, uh, the lemonstand.sg. And I get a lot of inquiries uh, asking about, you know, I'm going to be coming through the region. Is it possible to get a spot? I always say yes. Um, uh, even though sometimes the comedian's gone up and I realize later, maybe I shouldn't have said yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I still always say yes. And the th the reason is I actually once uh, was going to um, Sydney and uh, I had been, I'd been headlining around different places in, in Asia. And I called them up and I said, could I just get like five minutes on the open mic? And the guy was like, no. You'd have to come out to open like four or five times before we even put you on the list. I was like, uh, you know, I, I've done this for a while. Oh, yeah, whatever. And then the guy hung up on me. And I was like, okay, I'm never going to have that at my club. So now if somebody calls up and says, can I get a spot? Absolutely you can, 100%. So, and I get a lot of people reaching out through the website. You know, uh, they, they info at the lemon stand. Or my phone number is right there. And I sell, tell people, what's happening? So and when people send me a message through the website, the very first thing that pops up is, if you like a fast response, just reach out to me. Here's my my number on WhatsApp. And so I do get a lot of people following up. And I get a lot more comedians now. That, uh, in the last four months, I've probably had, oh, uh, uh, maybe I get probably about uh, three or four months that reach out and want to get a spot. So I mark them on the calendar and make sure they always get a spot. So I had a mentalist up on, uh, on Tuesday. And uh, yeah, so I'd never had, he's not really a comedian. So, but he wasn't bad. And I was like, you know what, come on up. And uh, he's like, can I get like 12 minutes? I was like, go ahead, let's do it. I've never had a mentalist before. <laughs> <laughs> so he was not bad either. The crowd, the crowd enjoyed it. So uh, I don't know if I could do a whole show on it, but I I'd definitely give him a, a spot. So, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we just had our F one. I gotta tell you, sometimes the holidays can really uh, can really uh, beat up the audience attending. Uh, F one on Saturday night. I, I we were not selling a lot of tickets on that night. Actually, the worst that was the World Cup. World Cup killed business for four weeks. It was terrible. So uh, in the next World Cup, it's the Lennon Stand Sports Bar. <laughs> I did three big TVs and just be open for all the games. That's what I'm going to do for four weeks in the next World Cup. I'm not going through that again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yeah. It's amazing what I've seen with the, so many bars. Like they, they, They're making 20 grand or something, 30 grand for just one weekend. 
Oh, yeah. Well, you don't do that in drink sales in Singapore, really. Um, Singaporeans are not big drinkers. They might, they'll have one, maybe two. And uh, which is really interesting because when you, I, I, I once had these uh, two um, old uh, Irish couples show up and they didn't have tickets for the show. And they were like, oh, we just wanted to come in for some drinks. I was like, really? In that case, come on in. And sure enough, they probably drank between the four of them. They drank two hundred dollars. It was basically, I thought, yes, yes, please come in. So uh, I know because I'm an Irish Canadian. I know that when they show up, I love when the Irish show up. They're they're all for a drink or two or five. So, so and that was great. And we pour proper shots at the lemon stand. Like we poured the the ounce and a half, not those like one ounce shots. So those drive me nuts when you get a, like a little shot and you can't even taste the alcohol. So, but, uh, but uh, yeah, we're getting, we're getting, uh, uh, that's why I make sure the drinks are good drinks at, uh, at the, though, however, we're going to have to, by the way, we're raising our prices. Anyone watching, we're raising our drink prices in October, unfortunately due to um, the high cost of supply. So, uh, it's gone up quite a bit this year, quite a bit. Really, bloody hell! Yeah, so over twenty percent uh, in terms of costs for beer and spirits and wine. Twenty percent. Twenty percent. It's gone up this year, since the beginning of the year to now. I was just like, wow, that's a lot. So. So now we have to kind of, I've been trying to hold off my price increase because I'm waiting until my supply is gone. But then when I re-up, you know, it's a, you know, 20% higher than, than it was at the beginning of the year. So now I have to actually go and offset our costs. So, um, uh, but uh, we do actually have food. The hotel that we're attached to, uh, we're like, we have a separate entrance, so we're separate part, but we're attached to a hotel. And so they get to do all the food. And I've got to say, that's awesome. You know, they can handle that. I have no issues with those guys doing the food. It's something that people like to have when they're at a, actually at a club. And uh, they like to have food. They like have something to drink. So you have to supply those things. And then the, the comedy comes along. Okay. And to anyone that's um, listening now, whether they be a bodybuilder, a comedian, a fighter, a uh, a, a polo player how, how what last words do you have to say for the in turn well my parting words i would probably say mm, you know um uh, like opening a comedy club has actually been kind of a dream of mine and uh one i never thought i would realize and so um uh, I'll say that uh, when you actually achieve uh, your dreams, <laughs> you uh, it's a really uh, there are, pursuing it is one thing, but you're never going to be prepared for everything that happens. So I recommend that you just kind of go for it, and and then really really work hard when you're when you're trying to get up and running, and then uh, when you do, I think you'll uh, if your passion is there and your work ethic is there, I think in the end, you will actually succeed in terms of uh, getting everybody on board uh, and to support, to make your dream longevity. 
So, uh, I mean, I think anybody can open a comedy club, but, you know, can they keep it open? So, I, so if you look at that in terms of how it applies to other um, other industries or other jobs or other careers, I think it's the exact same thing. Once you get in the door, you have to actually maintain that that work ethic of, you know, sticking to it and, uh, you know, uh, really working through all of the difficult parts because it's going to be no matter what. I, I mean, I'm sure there are, I'm sure that, you know, um, Beckham, I'm sure he must have had some very, very difficult parts of his career, but he pushed through, which is why, you know, he's Beckham. And, uh, or same with like Ronaldo and th those guys. So I, I think that that happens for anybody. And, and you especially see with comedians. Uh, sometimes you'll see some of the comedians after a while, they, they're kind of jaded in terms of, you know, like, oh, I thought it'd be further now, but you know, it's when the ones who really, really stick to it and the ones who keep writing and they keep pushing the envelope, I think those are the ones that really uh, win out in the end that they, uh, they adapt and they keep, they keep going. So that's, uh, I can tell you one thing and in six more years, we will still be here. I'm not going anywhere. So uh, I, you know, that's the I will. I'm one of those um, tenacious uh, promoters. I will. I'll keep fighting until the day I until the day I retire. So and I got a ways to go yet. Yes, yeah, so listen up, guys. He's not going anywhere. You can try anything. You can try putting poo through his door. You can try sorting him out. But he's there. Yeah, right? uh, and please don't take these as suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> What should be a suggestion? <laughs> the poo through the door? Yeah, like, uh, yeah, don't do that one anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Make sure you give a five-star view on Amazon iTunes. Give it a share. You know where the Lemonstone Comedy Club is. And I'll if see you, you in the next If you want to come episode. by, I'll put you up. And make sure you give him a discount. <laughs> <I'm joking>. <laughs> <laughs>